Well, Carl, good to see you on one-to-one uh, uh, -one on Skype. I've seen you a couple of times or more on the um, uh, the weekend things that we're doing. And so, uh, welcome. I hope you can hear me okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All good. All right. So, uh, you were asking a question about seeing the danger. Can you expand upon that a little bit? Yeah, so the danger, it seems to it seems to have like a couple, couple pinpoints to it when it comes to like certain habits. Like I was explaining, I used to smoke cigarettes before, but now I can see the danger in smoking cigarettes. I can see that there's no gratification in there. I can see the short-term pleasure of it, and I can, I can be like, oh, it, it's nice to smoke cigarettes, but I don't need that. Mm -hmm. it, it gives you a nice feeling, but I don't need that. But there's certain habits that are, are are quite damaging to me that I still partake in, but I don't see that same ungratifying feeling. I don't see the danger. Even even the danger seems so far away. It, it seems like oh. so far away until it's there. All right. Actually, then, is what you're telling me is, is cause... Um, Generally, you've seen the way that I approach things is, is that I don't set a lot of rules for students. Hmm. That, in fact, I invite the students to look for themselves, including looking for their own inside their own rules for the dukkha. So in this regard, um, you're talking about that there are certain things that you're doing and that you're investigating them and not finding any dukkha there. And so my original question then would come back to, well, who made what rule that says that this stuff is dangerous when in fact your investigation so far so good is showing that it's not dangerous? Is that the case? Mm -hmm. Okay, who are you going to trust? The old rule makers who are making rules for their own advantage, or are you going to trust your own eyes, your own insight? But I can I can see the danger of this long term, it, it, even though if it's not real right now. But if, if if it keeps going on, I can see the real consequences. So the danger is like there, but it's not there at this moment. All right. Uh... <laughs> I've got a joke about that. And that is, is that the priest comes in and catches the altar boy masturbating. And he tells the altar boy, you can't do that, you'll go blind. And the altar boy thought about it for a while and he says, can I do it until I need glasses? <laughs> Yeah, it feels like that, yeah. <laughs> ah, so it does feel that way. In other words, you can see that the danger is coming. And when you can see that the danger is there, then the question is, will you be able to free yourself of that habit when the time is correct? And one of the ways that you can do that is begin to see that this too is a toy to play with, that if there is potential danger, then you can play with that someday 
this thing is going to have to be given up. Can I give it up happily then? And can I give it up happily now to completely avoid the danger? So you can actually think your way through this. But the point that's important for us to recognize here is that it is actually the dangers that you can see rather than the dangers that you've been warned about. Because there's no end to the dangers that you've been warned about, the whataboutisms and all the things that can go wrong. And so here we're actually doing an investigation and we can see that some things by investigation are not wholesome and we're better off without doing those things. That in fact, this is the question um, that the uh, Kalama people asked the Buddha when they said that in fact, they do not know which spiritual teacher to follow because they've had them all come through and every one of them's got a different view. Um, that's an actual more raw or primitive way for that to happen because generally by the time a person in our society comes along, they're not visited by every Tom, Dick and Harry with their own set of rules. They've had to deal with Tom, Dick and Harry yelling in their ears for years. And so in this Kalama Sutra, the Buddha uh, stated, that do not take things simply because of tradition, because of the way that it's stated, because of the uh, the guy who stated is a famous teacher, or because it's generally believed and understood. Nor do we just merely take it because it makes us feel good or that we like it or that it fits in with our beliefs but rather that it needs to be thoroughly investigated to find out whether it's got dukkha or not. And basically what you're beginning to say is, is that you're beginning to investigate it enough that you can see the dangers. They're just microscopic or mi minuscule or off into the distance, which means that if you take a bit more investigation, you might be able to see the dukkha or the dangers more clearly. But yeah. this is still all up to your investigation, not me uh, asking you, oh, well, what is it that you are having trouble with? And I'll give you my solution to that answer because I don't really care. <laughs> now, the, in this Kalama Sutta, the Buddha then next, after he explains that, he asks him a series of questions. What do you think, uh, Kalama people, is killing harmful and, and unwholesome and dangerous, or is it okay to go around killing? And they all say, oh, it's harmful, it's dangerous. And so he said, he's beginning to point out just with the precepts that people can make up their own minds. We can see Dukkha. We do not have to have a set of rules that we could see things clearly for ourselves. And the, uh, the last part of the sutta, I won't go into great detail of it, but basically what he talks about is, is that when we do this, we can wind up with the, the least possible benefit or the least possible outcome is that you now have a happy life. 
And so, that's the worst thing that will happen is, is that you'll have a happy life if you pay attention to and avoid the things that you see are dangerous. So uh, I, I, I see that, but at the same time, it, what, what if the body, the body is feeling some kind of pain and it's using this, these habits to escape that pain? Like we, we tend to like take painkillers, we tend to do like crazy stuff just to escape the bodily pain. And o over time, like this bodily pain builds up that we develop these habits that helps us escape it. So if I'm not seeing the danger, I feel like it justifies because, oh, it helps me to reduce this pain. Oh, it helps me to reduce that pain. If, 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 if you know what I'm saying. Well, I'm not sure that I do know that what you're saying because pain actually has a wide variety of definitions. And so, um, in fact, Goenka makes kind of a point of it for students to understand that bodily sensations are just merely bodily sensations. That if the bodily sensation is an uncomfortable body sensation and we don't like it, we'll call that pain. That pain, actually, the word pain means that something is and we don't like it. And it's hard to endure, hard to put up with. And so a, a chronic neck pain uh, that lasts for days or another thing like that, people tend to want to get rid of the pain. And one of the ways of doing it is by holding that part of the body still, which is actually a very good idea that if your neck hurts, then don't move your head a lot because every time you move your head, it hurts more. So you can hold your neck still. The same thing with a broken bone. If you've got a broken bone, in fact, they want to put it in the cast to make sure that the bone stays really, really rigidly still so that it can heal. Right? So there are things that we can do in regard to the fact that many of the body sensations are just merely messengers saying, oh, don't do that. Let the body heal or whatever like that. But if we get into the point of, oh, I don't like that messenger, I want to kill him, or I want to send the message and the messenger away. I mean, this is what kings do. They kill the messengers. When the messenger brings on bad news, I think that that's um, Vladimir Putin's number one problem right now is he keeps killing his messengers because he doesn't like the message that he's getting. Right? Everything that happens in the Ukraine is painful for Putin. But if he'd go and look at what was going on, he could probably make a better assessment. And so that's the whole point of instead of hating the message, let's take it apart, take a good look at it, rather than trying to avoid it, including the avoidance of it by taking pills and whatnot. That in fact, in the United States in the past, oh, I would say 20 years or so, that big pharma, uh, let us say possibly, partially at least under new management, decided that if they could get the doctors to um, prescribe a lot of pain medications that the pharmaceutical industry would be better off. 
because they'll sell a lot of pills. And after all, most of the reasons why people go to a doctor is because of pain. Now, doctors are well trained, but they went against their training because the benefits they were getting from the pharmaceutical companies were too good. And so they addicted a large part of the population. And the funny part is they addicted the wrong part. The ones who were the most susceptible, the ones who hated their own pain so much that they'd do anything to get out of it. Those are the ones who's got their lives wrecked because they were avoiding pain and doing it in a very ignorant kind of way. That in fact, uh, the way that we would practice in, uh, in without Anapanasati is take a look at what's going on. Recognize that much of the body's pain is actually uh, coming in the form of emotion that is saw, uh, that is ha happening because of thoughts that we have, that we literally make up our own pain. When you see the danger in that, you'll stop making up your own pain. I think, yeah, that, that hits a little nail. Yeah, I think it, it does have to do a lot of like emotions and, and clinging to the sensations in the body. And though that mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a pattern of clinging to a sensation and then that sensation leads to these habits over time or, or over, over, over exaggerating them maybe in the case, yeah. Okay, um, let's take dentistry as an example. People hate to go to the dentist, and yet uh, people don't like pain, and so when they have pain in their mouth, they have to weigh out the pain of their mouth versus the pain of whatever the dentist is going to do to them when, he, when you get there, right? But the point is, is that humans got along, maybe not quite as well, but they got along without dentists for many, many, many centuries. That when a tooth is bad, you can pull it out yourself, unless you're afraid of the pain. And when you're not afraid of the pain, then the pain is not much there to it. It's gotten to like the sensation is the same sensation. But the question is, is that how much of it do I add onto that sensation by not liking that sensation? Whether than just allowing a sensation to actually be, or is actually probably a message saying you need to go do this, that, or the other thing. And so we go take care of it correctly. So that's the way that we begin to live our lives in a different way that mostly we uh, we are we learn to do this from our parents. Many of us are, um, in fact, my mom was a hypochondriac. It was because of her hypochondria that I could see as a child that she doesn't really need to go to the doctor about this. She doesn't need to haul me to the doctor about this. Let doctors do what doctors need to do. And just because there's a boo-boo doesn't mean you need a doctor. Right? That, that sometimes all you need is a Band-Aid. You don't need surgery. <laughs> unless you really like surgery. <laughs> well, or unless you're so afraid of the pain that you think that surgery is necessary. Yes. yes. That's the whole point is pain avoidance. And the whole quality of Anapanasati 
is bringing that winner's attitude in that it doesn't matter what it is, I can handle it. Yeah, the, uh, the body is going to get old, it's going to get sick, it's going to die. Let's get ready for that. Because Buddha Dasa talks about being ill as a really good opportunity to practice. Why? Because your only option is to be sick and to hate it and to want to get better. But if you can use sickness as an opportunity to practice, oh, I'm sick, never mind. I don't have to go any place or do anything. Oh, poor me, I'm just so sick. <laughs> and so we can actually learn to enjoy being sick. We can learn uh, to appreciate sensations as merely bodily sensations giving us information and messages rather than hating it this is part of the teaching that we talk about in the sense of hello darkness my old friend hello mr pain i've I, i've seen you again i've seen you before and i see you i see you again but i can invite that pain in as a friend and look at it rather than treating it like an enemy that has to be removed, destroyed, and will go to any links and get any kind of help and pay almost how much money in order to get rid of an enemy that's here to help us anyway. It's a messenger. And so that's a way of looking at pain. And then we begin to recognize almost all pain is mental anyway. Very little of our actual pain is physical. And so, all we request in Anapanasati is to get the body comfortable so that it's not in pain. Why? So then we can deal with the real pain <laughs> of I don't like stuff. So would you say like, uh, now I can see that like a probably association with like a bodily sensation. You have a, a, a dukkha thought, like a, a really negative thought associated. I don't like it. I don't want to get it out or, oh, this is so painful. I, don't, I really don't like it. By changing it back to by using Anapanasati, by changing into a wholesome thought. Oh, oh, it's just a sensation. I can handle it. It's okay. Over time, I think that what that's what would switch your looking into sensations your investigation will become more wholesome and then you can actually look at them i think that i think that I'm, I'm seeing that more clearly now because i i used to see just dukkha as dukkha as like a men mental constructs but i would not recognize that we can have these things attached to sensations or attached to 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 outside world at all i thought this all just coming from the inside but the well, body can feedback as well yes um we let us say this that some sensations we learn to hate them as children and then we continue to hate that kind of sensation without ever coming to the point of understanding that it's a teacher it's actually possible for people in fact it happens quite commonly because of either asbestos or tobacco or a combination of both or whatever, the old man at the age of 62 or three walks into the doctor's office and says, I'm having trouble breathing. And the doctor does his examinations and he looks at him and says, why didn't you come in here five years ago? 
you knew even then that your your lungs were rotting out because you could feel it, but you ignored it. You didn't take care of it. You didn't make the changes. You weren't watching what was going on. And therefore, I have to do nothing more than to give you a death sentence because it's too late to do anything about it. That was quite common. That's part of the reason why the medical profession wants people to come in and get tested because the people are not examining their own bodies themselves without looking. Well, how's my breathing now? How How is my blood pressure? How is my heartbeat? How is things? Go start to watch the body as if you were your own position. And guess what? You don't need a lot of scientific equipment. But you have to remember to do it. You have to remember to look. And it's okay to look. It's okay to know that if you've got a kidney stone growing, that you can, you know that it's a tiny little thing, but you know it already. You don't have to wait until it's so painful that finally you go to the doctor, right? After you really hate it. So in this regard, we're actually um, waking up much earlier because we're not trying to avoid the pain. We're actually seeing the body as a, a whole series of, messages and that's what pain really should be but what happens with humans is is that we begin to hate it and then we don't want to pay any attention to it because we hate it and then things get really bad because we're not doing anything about it because we really hate that pain Maybe we've been to the doctor a dozen times and now we've gotten five or six prescriptions, all of them trying to get rid of the pain and none of them were doing the job of actually finding out what the problem was in the first place. So if we can see that that's true with the body, we can see that that's true mentally also. That we begin to see that unwholesome thoughts actually make us feel bad and it and it makes us feel bad in the sense of um emotions and then it makes us feel bad in the sense of the body that if you go around saying i'm sick and tired of what they're doing at work you'll feel sick and you'll feel tired because you're talking yourself into it but if you have the attitude hey i can handle that that's just a boo-boo. Yeah, the neck will be okay. I'll hold it still or whatever. Another one is that here in South Thailand, we have, let us say, an ongoing situation with uh, insects. That every day I'm dealing with four, five, six, several different insect bites someplace. Sometimes a whelp, sometimes just an itch, sometimes nothing to it, right? But what I've had to learn to do is to not scratch, but rather to put an ointment. If there is an, an itch, don't scratch it, oint it instead. There's a lot of, they have monkey bombs and tiger bombs and all kinds of little things that you can put on something. But the putting of the bomb on actually now shows that or actually indicates that we are nourishing the boo-boo to where when we're scratching, it's because we hate it and we want it to go away. 
and we do that mindlessly. So the difference between whether you scratch what issues or whether you put a soothing bomb on what issues is the whole story. Can you do that with your own thoughts too? Why do we scratch at the thoughts that we don't like? When we could put a soothing bomb on instead, oh, never mind, it's not important. Everything is okay, no problem. Effort. It's, pardon? It's just effort, it's laziness. Being, being right. lazy with your thoughts, being lazy with investigating. Right, we have to take that effort, the right effort to stop hating stuff and investigate it instead. To take the effort to uh, investigate it and then to make a change to it. That's the right effort. We have to make the effort to actually look, to wake up and to look, and then to make a change. so you can change the way you deal with pain. One of the ways of dealing with pain is stop calling it pain. Don't call it pain anymore. Call it something interesting like a boo-boo or uh, just a sensation. That's the way of dealing with it because it's really not pain. Pain is just a word that we use to express that we feel bad. And how you feel about those that pain is up to you. You don't have to feel bad because there's a strong sensation. This teaching that I'm giving you here is deeply, deeply uh, involved with this is actually the teaching of recognizing that you do have a choice over how you feel. And one of the choices that you're making is by calling it pain. You're making it pain. We can find better words to use in our vocabulary. And the words that we can choose to use will have to do with the fact that whatever word we choose, we can handle that. Pain almost has the quality that it, it's too much. It's bigger than I am. I can't do it. I'm in pain here. It feels like it was lacking the, the the kind of the right view at it as it, it felt more permanent than it actually is instead of seeing something as an permanent thing. Because like even as you're sick, I think the the best advice that people usually tell, like the holistic doctors, such that they tell you, oh, don't identify with your body because as soon as you say, oh, my body hurts. Oh, this really hurts in my body. Then you're really giving it power. But now I'm seeing it. Oh yeah, there is so many choices I can interpretate this pain or sensation or 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 whatever in so many forms or ways if 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 I look at it correctly. Mm -hmm. That's right. So this is um, uh, beginning to change the way that we view things, which means now that you're beginning to change your own past. 
Why do I say it like that? Is because your past is the way that you used to deal with it. But now you're you're choosing to deal with it differently. And this time right now is now going to be your new past. And when the next time that it happens, now you've got the new past to deal with it rather than the old past. And so next time it's going to be easier to deal with. So this is part of the process of being able to deal with things like like the winner that you are rather than the loser that you were when you were a child. That in fact, that would be something that. Um, uh, uh, it, the way that kids are raised often seems to be in extremes. In the sense that, uh, yeah, sometimes we have to tell the child you can handle this. Buck up, don't cry, you're OK. But oftentimes that is done with the parent angry and yelling rather than reassuring. Which doesn't help the child become reassured. <laughs> that they can handle it. And so now the child has got two problems. He's got daddy beating on me as well as the original problem. And so we wind up feeling, um, uh, let us say, uh, helpless. Which is part of our attitude. That's the attitude of the victim is, is that we're helpless in the face of this pain because we don't know how to buck up the way that daddy told us to buck up. We don't know how to do that. And so that's the kind of dialogue that we wind up with from childhood, and we can change that. And and part of the way is, is by changing that attitude. When I was a child, I couldn't do, handle it, even though my daddy told me to handle it, I couldn't handle it, but now I can. New day. Doesn't matter what it is, I can handle it. And this is actually good for us to understand, even in the classical definition of dukkha, which is in uh, several of the suttas. One of them is it's in number nine and in, in right view. The whole definition of dukkha is uh, laid out in kind of a format, and it starts with the really biggest, heaviest duty stuff there really is. Old age thickness and death. And then it moves on to lamentation, despair, fretting, and then it moves into the real juicy part, and that is not getting what we want or having to put up with things that we don't want to put up with. OK, but you can see the series in that. That we can get ourselves worked up into despair over things and that one of the things that people do despair over is getting sick can't custom mustard anymore um and yet if you think about it that's your your destiny in a way if there's any destiny that we all share it's the destiny of that three-way destiny old age sickness and death if you're lucky, 
old age, sickness, and death, if you're lucky. If you're not lucky, death comes before you get old. And if you're unlucky, you it happens, you don't even get a chance to get sick and know that it's happening. It's just the bullet comes right out of the blue and, and you're dead. But you're going to die. So the question is, if you can get re get ready for life with the little things, then maybe we can get re ready for life and death with the really big things because they're going to come. They're inevitable. We can look at it from that perspective as a, the actual practice of uh, the Buddhist method is to help prepare us for our own death. How are you going to die? How are you going to handle that? That's the question, because if you know through correct reflection that you can handle your own death, then What's to be afraid of in life? I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen? Well, guess what? The worst thing that can happen, most people think, is getting killed, being dead. That's the worst possible thing that can happen. And yet, it's going to. There is no doubt about it. No one has ever survived. Everybody gets dead. Knowing that we're going to die, we can better prepare for it. But people who don't want to die, they want to avoid it. Not only do they want to avoid it, they want to avoid the pain or anything that takes us in the direction of death. To where with this idea is, is that, well, you're going to get sick anyway. Why not enjoy that? You're going to get old anyway. Why don't you get just enjoy that? And if you're going to die, why don't you get really ready for that so you can enjoy that too? So I've been sick a number of times. I busted a whole bunch of bones here and there. Gotten old. And I recognize that, yeah, growing old and happy is a whole lot better than growing old and unhappy. <laughs> and that's the choice of most. And the reason that it's the choice of most is because they're trying to avoid pain. They don't like it. We're in fact, we're going to have our share of it. Instead of avoiding the pain because we don't like it, why don't we change the way that we perceive things so that we can, in fact, accept pain as just part of being alive? It's just part of being alive. No infant grows up without pain. Every toddler, when he falls down, he cries. Don't like falling down. Most adults, if, if you if you actually fall down, that hurts. We don't like it. Right? So, uh, but that doesn't mean you can't get right back up. It's the toddler who wants to lay there, oh, mommy, please come help me. I, I fell down. But as an adult, we can say, never mind, I fell down, I can get up again. Or as Goenka would say, never mind, start again. Yeah, I can handle that, I can get up. Then in fact, that's the skill that we're trying to develop is the skill of recognizing that we've just fallen down. Let's pick ourselves up, dust ourselves off, and start all over again. 
because most people, when they fail, they want to wallow in it. Oh, poor me. I want to play victim right now. But the champion, he don't play victim so long. He just picks himself up. Hey, I can handle this. I can get right back up. Yeah, the body is sick. Yeah, the body is old. So what? That just proves that I've been good at this for a long time. (laughs) And so knowing that you're going to get sick, you can plan on getting sick. You can think about how am I going to handle it when I actually do get sick. That this little boo-boo that I've got now is nothing compared to how sick I'm going to have to be someday because I will get sick enough that it's going to kill me. That's how sick I'm going to get. And so this boo-boo that I've got now, nothing to it. And that gives you that lion's attitude. That's the attitude that we're looking for, is the attitude of a lion. We can handle this. What, pain? Nothing to it. I can handle that. It's just a sensation. Excellent. Like an alarm clock. (laughs) Wakey, wakey. Wakey, wakey, exactly. This is is lion's roar. That you can handle it, but you have to remember that you can handle it. This is what the sati is about, is remember that you can wake up to this, oh, poor me, I'm in pain. To wake up to that and say, wait a minute, I don't have to be in pain. That it's dangerous to feel bad because I feel bad. Hmm. Because yeah, of one thing. Pardon? I was going to say, sorry to interrupt, I was going to say too much mommy of like, oh, my poor little baby to yourself. <laughs> uh-huh. And so instead of nurturing our, our way into being in pain, we can nurture our way out of it. With the point, oh, I can handle that. Oh, I can take care of that. So that's an attitude change about pain. And this little talk can be done in practice of meditation, though I don't recommend it. But the way that it's done often is by having the students sit for long, long periods of time and let the body become uncomfortable in those positions and then deal with the uncomfortableness of those positions this way that we're talking about. So it's actually setting up an artificial. Guess what? You don't need an artificial situation. You already have real pain. You've got your life going on. We don't need to set this kind of stuff up as a a challenge of how long can you sit in meditation? Because I know actually several people who have hurt themselves because they forced themselves to sit way too long. And so now it's really painful for them to sit. Mostly this is Western monks. They work so hard at being able to sit with the Asian monks that they wind up harming their bodies because they're not paying close attention to what's going on. So it's better to, to be moving around. It's better 
to keep the body comfortable as best you can. And then that generally means by holding it still, because pain normally comes like um, a kid that's got a broken arm, his arm won't heal if his, for instance, if his right arm is broken, if he keeps using his right hand, he has to not just stop using the arm, he has to stop using the hand too. And that's really hard for kids to do, is to stop using that hand. I remember I had a broken arm and played the tuba, and there I am fingering it and <laughs> slow healing. So, um, learning to hold the body still to deal with pain is a good thing, as well as to investigate it. But it's not a good idea to intentionally do that. But if you find yourself in a position to where you need to be tested, then use that time for that opportunity. So say you have an accident and now your body is in pain or a broken arm or something like that. That's just a really excellent time to practice to allow that bone to heal really well. And it's going to happen. There's going to be events in your life that you're going to, you know, slam into a brick wall from time to time. So do you have the skills to handle slamming into a brick wall? If you have the confidence, yeah, I can handle a brick wall. Yeah, I can get slammed into a brick wall. I can handle that too. I may not survive it, but I can handle it. And this is supposedly coming out of people practicing meditation for long periods of time. But I would say that, no, you can gain that attitude without having to um, put the body in uncomfortable positions intentionally. There's enough of it already. I think we all had the glimpses of that attitude from time to time when we when we faced certain scenarios. We just don't know how to trigger it on demand when we need it. We don't know how to maintain it. Ah, that's why sati is such a valuable skill to develop itself, is to remember, is keep waking up, wakey, wakey, let's, you know, because if you can wake up and remember, then you're not, uh, let us say, oppressed by that pain, you're on top of it now, you're not the victim of the pain, because you remember that you're not the victim of the pain, that you're the champion here, that you can handle it. So that's where the sati comes in. We have to use that sati and practice it over and over again, just so that it'll be there when we need it the most. Excellent. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we'll finish this conversation now. Carl, it's been a delight. I'm really glad that we were able to talk like this, and I hope that this will give you some usefulness in your practicing of dealing with pain. Boo-boo. <laughs> Boo-boo's right. <laughs> All right. Okay. We'll see you later, Carl. Thank you.